The Diary of a Harlequin is proudly brought to you by Charles Stanley Wealth Managers, official player welfare partner of Harlequins. If you're looking to start your investment journey, then Charles Stanley has lots of tips and ideas on how to secure your financial future. It's the final episode of Series 1 of The Diary of a Harlequin, and today we find ourselves down at Surrey Sports Park, right at the heart of the action where the team train. So if there is a bit of background noise uh, going on today, it'll only be because there's very important team meetings going on next door. I'm your host, Joe Yates Round, and for the final episode of Series 1, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome a Harlequins legend, Danny Kerr. Danny has played for Quinns since 2006, and this season became the most capped player to ever pull on the quarters, having made over 350 appearances. Two times Premiership winner, 87 England caps, three times Six Nations winner, once a Grand Slam, one of the greatest to ever pull on the shirt. But away from rugby, he's also a podcaster, TV pundit, husband, father of three, and trying his hand at property developing uh, as well. So he's keeping busy. Welcome to the Diary of a Harlequin, Danny. Thank you, mate. What a lovely, lovely intro. I'm a tired and now broke player as well. You should have added that into the... Well, we'll we'll come on to that as, yeah. uh, as we'll start. But we'll start at happier times. Please when you, do. Uh, <laughs> when you were young, full of life, vivacious... Um, so why why rugby for you as a young lad in Leeds? How did that kind of love affair start? Yeah, so it started back at West Park Bramhope. My older brother Simon, he was two years older than me. So I kind of been that younger brother you always kind of chase into to be like him. Um, unfortunately, he got the tall gene. I didn't get the, the, the tall gene. He got the tall gene. I got the short one. Um, but he went down to West Park uh, under sevens. So I was right. five. I went down there to watch him, but then started watching him play. And I was like, oh, I quite like a bit of that. So we badgered them to let me play, but they said he couldn't because of the laws. You're too yeah. young. <laughs> because of the law. Yeah. Oh, God damn law. I know. But then a year later, um, so when I was six, they let me play a year up because I was quite quick. So they're like, oh, we could we could do with you on the wing. So um, I started playing and they just used to stick me on the wing and I used yeah. to, my legs were more, are much bigger now, but I used to, just to run... And score tries, and I loved it. I just loved the whole day of a Sunday and going down there with your family, playing rugby, into the clubhouse, can of Coke, bag of chips. Um, the whole environment, people giving up their own time just to yeah. be there to help support the community. I, we, we loved it. Um, but I also love football. So mm. I used to play rugby Sunday morning, football Sunday afternoon because um, the timings worked. Then it got to a stage when I was a bit old, I think it was about under nines tens where me and my brother had to make a decision and he chose rugby i chose football so i stopped playing rugby for a bit um because I, I wanted to be a footballer that was my that was the that was that was the dream as a that kid. was the dream I, I loved rugby but i loved football more yeah. um and i didn't get hit in football as much so i cried <laughs> as much that. i think is the important as thing much, there. Yeah. as much so i chose football for a bit and then went down that route Got a trial at Sheffield Wednesday. Went to play for Sheffield Wednesday for three years. Loved it. Um, then a new academy manager came in, told me I was too small. Myself and Jamie Vardy are in the same team. Both of us were put on the bench for quite a while. And I always remember when my dad used to drive me to Sheffield two nights a week, which from Leeds, it's about an hour. So an hour, yeah. two hours in the car twice a week and then a game on a Saturday um, I remember we played Man United at home we lost 2-0 I didn't get on it's the first time I'd never been put on 
And, and how old are you at that I was point, 15. So 15. all I wanted to do was play football. Yeah. I didn't care who it was for. I just wanted to play. So I remember after that game, I said to my dad, I'm done. I've had enough here. Because I was coming off the bench. The first two years, I played quite a lot, mm. scored quite a few goals. And then the new academy manager came in and looked at size and went, no, you're too small. So you're not going to play as much. And I was like, okay. Obviously, you think, well, I'll show them I can still, I can yeah, still yeah, do yeah. that. I back myself to still do it. But then, yeah, I wasn't playing an awful lot. So after that game, I remember speaking to my dad on the way home and just said, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to do this. I just want to play. And was that the feedback you got? Or was it, it was purely based on height? It was height purely based on height that they wow. they were picking, they wanted to pick bigger lads because they didn't, they didn't think younger lads could could do it. Whereas the academy manager before, a guy called Clive Baker, sadly isn't with us anymore, but he was the guy that got hold of me at 12, 13 yeah. and was like, yeah, this is how you play. And he believed in me. Um, and then the new academy manager came in when Clive mm -hmm. left and... I don't know his name. I'm not. I want to find out who he is because, in a in a way, he he kind of ruined my dreams of being a footballer. Yeah. But at the same time, maybe he opened the doors to me going, "Well, I'm going to go and try rugby again." So and that worked out okay. It's gone all right. End. Yeah. It's gone all right. But yeah, it was it was a tough decision to leave. But I left. I went back and just played for my local club, Adel, with my yeah. mates. Love football again. Um, but luckily, I was at Prince Henry's Grammar School, which played rugby. Right, okay. So I could still play a bit of rugby on the side. So I hadn't lost my full fix of rugby. Um, and all the lads kept saying, I'll oh, come and join Otley. Yeah, yeah. Come and play rugby. And I, for years I was, no, 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 I'm going to be a footballer. I'm sticking to football. And then they went, well, we've got a lads and dads tour to Dublin. That sounds awful. Yeah. And I was like, what's that? And they're like, oh, well, we go and we stay over. We play a few games and you can have a couple of beers with your dad yeah, yeah. and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. I give that a go and I remember going there, joined Otley, we all dyed our hair blonde, it was like that typical <laughs> rugby thing. Went down there, played played some games, had a couple of beers with everyone and my dad after and I was like, this is a bit of me, I think I like this. Yeah. Uh, and then I stuck to rugby from then. And you said, so your brother picked rugby and you picked yeah. football. Was he then super thrilled that you then went back to rugby after having tried a bit of football? Yeah, he was He was happy. He he loved his rugby. He Also, he had the, he got the smart gene, so he's a clever <laughs> bloke and he worked hard. So he did really, he's done really well out of, out of school. Um, he came down to London, went to Imperial College and played for the medics team, wow. um, which I used to love going and watching him play. Uh, Never seen looser post-match stuff <laughs> that I saw in that uni rugby stuff. And I always remember his mates, because when I came out to Harlequins, they'd be like, oh, do you do this sort of stuff at Quinns? I'm like, absolutely not. Because some of the stuff I saw there was, was you can't unsee it. Yeah, so that's, that's bursting the bubble then of everyone that says, oh, but Prem Rugby Clubs, it's just like playing it at you. No, yeah. it's, it's, there's a different level. There, there's there's a different level of looseness, I would say. I mean, Prem Rugby players do do let them, the hair down but the stuff I saw those days were was I can see it in your eyes it's high opener. Yeah, it's yeah. but what you've also just revealed there is that there's a basically a Danny Care out there who's tall and smart he sounds fantastic good looking dude as well yeah, yeah. better <laughs> hair he's done alright he's done alright big side so then you've that dream of um, a football you kind of it's taken away from you you kind of must feel pretty pretty raw and you must be pretty angry about that at 15 in the way that's happened or did yeah. rugby help channel that away? Yeah, I was angry just because I just wanted to play. Yeah. I didn't care who it was for. I just loved football, just mm. loved scoring goals, loved the whole vibe of it. Um, but then it kind of made me fall in love with rugby a little bit more. Yeah. 
I definitely feel there's a closer it's a closer environment rugby being in that team at Otley luckily my school team was we were a good team we were a a state school but we were tough like we had some tough lads that we used to love going and playing private school kids because oh, yeah. we grew up I grew up hating private school kids because of <laughs> how like privileged they were uh, and I always said oh, I'll never send my, my kids to a private school and then I've had kids they're in private school <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that Quinn's is that, has Quinn's got a little skin bit. there <laughs> I think a little bit but you look I speak to any of the lads who went to private school and they're like oh my god it's the best best thing ever Like, and I went we went and looked at a few schools for, for Blake our youngest and went around a couple of private schools and we're like how can we not give him this if we can so we always said if whilst we can yeah we'll give we'll give them hopefully a leg up but now i've got three it's becoming <laughs> you're, are you betting you're looking at all the like, mm, do you all really Maybe need which that? one which yeah. one can i put my money on to, <laughs> to do well so no it's um yeah it, that kind of yeah, made me fall in love with rugby even more mm. my school team was great we got to a daily mail vars final played at twickenham amazing when i was 16 which was amazing to run out there and we scored i scored a try mm. and we won the game it's kind of the best thing our school had ever done um our, our little school up in otley to come down to twickenham and, and win the game was was incredible played fly off back then i was a fly off in that team so i loved that um is that, then, as, is that as close to being a footballer as you can get on the fly off? I think so. Team, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I'd say scrum off because you touch the ball more than anyone. Yeah. But the fly off, I think, annoyingly, does dictate the game a little bit more than the nine. And so, how did Quinns then come into view for you? Because I imagine at that point, playing rugby, you just you're back loving it again and doing it for fun. Then is it? A phone call, someone taps you on the shoulder after a match. Like, what happens? Yeah, so I I was got in. I played for Yorkshire Sixteens, North of England, then England Under Sixteens. Yeah, um, I'd been to a trial for the Leeds, like EPDC thing. It was then where the, the kids got of pre academy stuff. Yeah, and I've still got a letter from Stuart Lancaster saying that I wasn't good enough to get into that. Excellent. Which I've reminded him of a couple of times. Um, and then I think he, on one of the, fo the notes, it was like something to do with thinking he's a footballer. So I think I probably picked up a couple of bad, bad traits. <laughs> um, but then um, I then got picked for England under-16s and then Leeds came yeah. knocking again and said, oh, maybe you could come down and train again. And I went and trained again then got into their, their sort of pathway, yeah. um, signed up with their academy, um, made, a, made my first team debut while I was still at school mm. um, with Leeds played against Valladolid away in the European Cup it was amazing played fly off um, scored a try kicked a couple of conversions and then broke my leg with it all within 25 minutes wow so it was an interesting debut um, and I always remember the post-match we went we got looked after so well out there the whole town kind of came to the game and um, we went to this local restaurant um, and I remember I got carried in there because I was obviously in so much pain yeah, in, in these crutches Um Terry Crystal was the old England doctor who's a bit of a, a legend um, and he he was our Leeds doctor at the time and I always remember I needed to go to the toilet at one point I was like where's my crutches and one of the lads was like look up there and Terry Crystal the doctor was top off on the table with my crutch as a microphone singing to the <laughs> singing to the whole of this Ballad of Lead nightclub <laughs> so lads had to carry me upstairs had a wee come back downstairs and Terry was like sorry sorry mate um, and that was, that was the doctor that was the there, doctor yeah, yeah very fine. professional Terry was um, but it was amazing even though I broke my leg it was an amazing experience to play mm -hmm. for Leeds obviously then I had a bit of spell out a bit of rehab 
And then that year, at the end of my school year, I got offered a, a first team contract to sign for Leeds straight after school, straight out of school. So I did, and, and Justin Marshall was coming as, as their big sign in Scrum Half. So they were like, look, you're, you're, there's three of you. You're going to learn off Justin Marshall. It was myself, Mark McMillan and, and Justin. Um, so as an 18-year-old out of school, just wow. being in training with Justin every day, watching him, seeing how he operated. Um, you know, for me, he was one of like my heroes, one of my idols. I yeah. loved the way he played the game. Um, it was incredible just to work with him. And I got a few, I think I probably got about six or seven appearances off the bench. Um, I think I got one start that year, um, which was amazing. But I just tried to soak up as much yeah. of his knowledge as I could. Um, unfortunately, we got relegated that year. We had a, an amazing team, but it just didn't quite click. Right. We got relegated um, and the four of us were on the same contract. So right, okay. it was, uh, was 12,000 pounds, which the, then I was a kid, I was like, it's amazing, lived at home, <laughs> mum did all my washing. Um, so I just had to buy a car and then get myself to trade and back, but 1,000 pounds a month is Fantastic. unbelievable. So yeah. um, uh, then we yes, we got relegated and one of the lads in our contracts found out that at the, on the back page, it had a relegation release clause because we, we signed two-year deals. And... So then it was, I had a decision to make, obviously, of yeah, well, do yeah. I stick with my boyhood club and go down to the championship? Or I'd had a taste of the premiership and I loved it. And I was like, I feel like I can do it. Mm. So it's then, you know, you need a club to, to, to have a take a sort of bit of a punt on you. Uh, I'd played England on the 19s that year, so I'd kind of been in the shop window a little bit. Right, okay. And then, yeah, my agent got three had three calls Northampton Saracens and Harlequins um and we we went and met every club yeah. came came down the M1 did Northampton went to Saracens met Eddie Jones at Saracens he was the coach there at the time um and I'll be honest I walked out of the Saracens meeting with Eddie and I was like I think that might be the yeah that might be the one um and Harlequins was the last was the last stop on the trip and I'll be honest, Saracens offered me, they offered me a decent package that day. Like yeah. they were up, up front at the table off, you know, and um, and I was, so I was, I was a 19 year old, obviously. Right, yeah. And, oh my God, here we go. Yeah. I can buy a car, I can buy a better car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> obviously the idiot in me is like, what can it be? I can buy anything. Um, yeah, yeah. And then went to Quinn's and I was kind of, generally I was thinking, well, I'm probably, I almost said to Eddie, I think we're, we yeah. sorted here. Um, it was him and Alan Gaffney. And then uh, got to Harlequins, met Dean Richards, Andy Friend and John Kingston. And within a minute, I was yeah. sold. Yeah. I Dean basically said, we've been watching you for a couple of years. We think you're going to be the next English scrum half. We want to build a team around you. Uh, we want you to play the way you play, quick tapping, smile on face, have some fun, want yeah. you to enjoy your rugby. We think this is the right club for you. And I was like, yeah. I'm and I guess then for, for you, kind of going back almost then hearing <clears throat> what you heard at, at Leeds, yeah. at Jordan Sheffield, even when you were on to just play football, it was like, yeah. no, you're not going to play, you got to sit on the bench. To hear someone walk into a meeting and go, you're going to play every week. Yeah play the way you want to play, your eyes must just lit up. It was amazing, yeah. Obviously, when it, and it's Dean Richards who's saying it to you. You're yeah. like, first I'm staring up at him. But yeah, um, yeah it, was, it was just great. Like, I felt like the, I, I was wanted. I felt the love straight away. I felt mm. like 
this was the right club for me. And we walked out of the room. I'd said to my agent, um, I don't care what the money is. I'm, I want to sign for Quinns. Um, I mean, the money wasn't bad. It, was, <laughs> it wasn't far <laughs> off uh, Saracens, but it was... We're not getting violins out there. No, no, no. You don't get violins out. No, I was, I was paid very well to come down it. Um, but as a 19-year-old, it was a big decision because I was yeah. a bit of a mummy's boy. I love being at home. Be my first time moving away from home and not just moving down, down the road. Yeah. A good four hours drive. Um, but I, I moved in with David Strettle. He signed at the same time. We played England Sevens that year together. Nice. So it's kind of like a big brother, two Northerners down here looking after me. Mm. Um, and yeah, signed for Quinns. Didn't play at all the first year. Excellent. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. everything David said. Um, <laughs> but he kept saying to me, You're not, I don't think you're ready yet. And I was like, I am, I am. I kept knocking on his door saying, uh, give me a shot, give me a yeah. shot. And he said, look, I promise you, when you're ready, you'll get your chance. And then um, we signed Andy Gummersall, who yeah. was the current England number one. Um, so he was playing. And then again, the best thing ever happened was me not play that year because really? I just sat and watched Gummers and he worked with me on my passing and my kicking and my fundamentals and then the other stuff. Because Dean always said, once you got that right, your other stuff will take care of its, right, itself. Yeah. But passing and kicking and leading this team around. Mm. And then he, I remember he gave me a chance, he was Saracens away um, and he put me into the team. And it's the same time that Brownie and Geordie and George yeah. Robson and Ugo and everyone were kind of coming into the team together. Um, and we started playing this quicker brand of rugby, um, throwing it around a fair bit. And then I became kind of the number, number one scrum half and, it was me starting and Andy Gummersall on the bench, um, which again was mad. Um, yeah, I was gonna, you must have been pinching yourself. Yeah, it was crazy. First year of yeah. being like, right, I'm learning, I'm learning. And then yeah. he sat on the bench, you're going... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he was brilliant. Like he was, he was, he was kind of like me now. He's coming to, <laughs> coming to the end and he was, I think he was happy for someone to take up the minutes. Um, and he was still brilliant with me for that year, uh, which then he left. And then, yeah, since then I've... I've been here the whole time. Wow. Um, so a couple of bits I want to go back to. One was the difference between a football academy and a rugby academy for yeah. you. Was that a big, was there a big difference? Was there a big gulf in terms of the way you were treated as academy players at both? Yeah, I think it was, it's very different. I think as an academy footballer, um, you were nowhere near the first team. As you didn't really mm -hmm. see, you didn't see them at all. Whereas at, as a rugby player, you'd see them and they'd be in the same building. You, right. So you kind of get a glimpse of, oh, you know, that's, they're the big lads, you know, the big lads. Yeah. Um, you also, up in Leeds, it was, it was a harsh learning curve for academy lads. Um, you had to earn your stripes a little bit more than, you know, I think times have changed 17 years on. Do you say, um, you say, you sound disappointed that times have changed. Yeah, you, you think no, a... <laughs> I, yeah, I was going to, the difference between Surrey kids and Yorkshire kids, I'd say maybe is a little bit different, but, but I'm sat here with three Surrey kids now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the way, yeah, you didn't really look at a first teamer in the eye, like right. in the academy, you had to earn your stripes. You only kind of got the respect uh, of them when you played. Right. Okay. So you had to you had to show them you could do it, get your head down and graft, and yeah. a few lads got it wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they. I always remember coming into the squad and uh, a few of the first team, the older lads, just how amazing they were with me, mm. just looking out for you and helping you out and always having your back. People like Rob Rawlinson, as an old hooker for Leeds, um, would always look out for me on the pitch, off the pitch. Um, 
remember Brian Lima played against Bristol once and the chiropractor Brian Lima went for a handoff and closed his fist and literally punched me in the face. Knocked me clean out cold. Is, is, I think it's on YouTube. Ollie Cohn always sends it to me every now and then when he's a bit, <laughs> like, it's a bit sad. Um, and I remember Rob Rawlison chasing him down and like starting a fight with Brian Lima just to look after me. But I always remember him and a couple of others that how they were with me kind of mm. when I grew up and I was always said if I ever turn into a senior player yeah. I want to be like that with the academy lads trying to be opening and you know and, and good to them um, but let's they get it too easy now these these young boys it's way <laughs> too easy I like you people do you I want to be good to one of them but it's too but they easy. still need yeah. to yeah they need to graft a little bit more for my liking Okay. Um, but yeah, that's probably the old school northerner. <laughs> so then you you broken into the Quinns team, as you say, it wasn't just you. There was kind of a core of yeah. guys that were all similar ages, must be similar levels of excitement to get into the team and then all playing the way that you wanted to play. What were those kind of first couple of years like? Yeah, it was it was amazing because I'd, I'd done uh, England under 21s uh, World Cup over in France with Mike Brown, Mark Lambert, um, Alex Rogers, Chris Brooker, there's a few, probably a couple more, um, and, they, and Chris Robshaw, obviously, and they yeah. they all said, you know, it was that was at the time where I didn't know where who I was going to sign for, and they right, kept okay. saying, "Come to Quinns, come yeah. to Quinns." Um, so then to come down there, and I'd I'd know John Turner Hall for for years in the um, England sort of academy stuff, yeah. so he was badgering me to come down. I'd met Hugo a couple of times in seven stuff, um, so then to come down and then. That first year was tough as well because a lot of them were playing and I, I wasn't. Right, okay. So I'd yeah. come down from Leeds and then I was just twiddling my thumbs on a weekend and they were all going playing with the Quins and it looked, I was so jealous, just yeah. wanted that. Um, but then when I did get into the team after the first year, just to play with your best mates was was amazing. We all kind of grown up together. We were all young, free and single. So uh, <laughs> we were having a good time off the field as well. And we just grew up, we grew up together and we were playing, for me, in the best team because we played the best rugby, I thought. We, yeah. we just, there wasn't many restraints on us as players. It was just go out there and do your thing. And we had three wise heads of Nick Evans, Nick Easter and Mo Farsavalu and, and yeah. Ollie Cohn who kind of came in to um, keep us, keep the youngsters on track. <laughs> um, but we had such a good vibe and yeah, we loved it. We just loved playing together playing with the, that group of players you talked about that they were your best mates and you got to play with them week in week out when you got into that team a lot of similar things are being said about this group over the last few years that there's that real strong bond that that brotherhood again would you make that comparison although at a different point in your career yeah obviously I've seen it from the two different perspectives now of being the young lads with the old wise heads that mm. helped us um, and then I think when we won the league in 21 there was a, people asked me how was it different it, it did feel very similar because you've got yeah. the young crew of of Marcus and Domers and Liner and Tyrone and all the lads Caden uh, March all these boys that have grown up together been in the academy together played so many games of rugby together as youngsters yeah um and then you realize that I I was the old I was the old head you know there was myself Brownie Marla um Ross Chisholm, uh, yeah. James Chisholm, you'd even throw into the old head yeah, category. Yeah. Sorry, James. Um, so you did kind of feel that it was a similar, and it felt very similar. It like, mm. felt like we were playing at that year a brand of rugby that, when we got it right, no one could no one could live with it. Yeah. Um, 
And it's very rare. That's only happened to me twice in, in 17 years, but it felt that way that we would beat anyone. Um, and we had that confidence about us. Like, mm. And if that, I go back to 2012, we had a confidence that year that we'd beat anyone. And we sat top of the, the log the whole year because we knew we were, the be- we were the best team. Nearly lost the semi-final, yeah. which would have been a travesty, but then got to the final and beat Leicester, who were of this unbelievable team at the time. So um, it did feel similar. The vibe definitely mm. felt similar. But like I say, I'm now in the... Unfortunately, the older category of trying to keep a, keep a lid on some of these young lads, but I loved it. I loved playing that role of helping the young mm. the young lads out and a shoulder to to lean on, or I can give them a bit of words of wisdom of stuff probably not to do mm. that I did. Um, so yeah, it was it was a privilege to kind of watch those young lads mm. develop um, and Louis to score those two tries in the final and Marcus to play the way he did um, people that I think people forget those kicks at goal that, that was so important in that final to win us that game um, yeah it was, a, it was just a pleasure to be a part of I'm so happy that I've managed to do it twice and we've heard from Stefan Levis on this podcast talking about that run in in 2021 and he said that he got you up in front of the the young lads to talk about what it was like winning it in 2012 to kind of add a bit of extra emotion, I guess, into it, say this is actually how much it, it means. What are your recollections of having to stand up and, and talk about that to this group of players? Yeah, I think, so it was about six weeks to go to to the playoffs mm. and Steph just said, look, I think it'd be great to hear from you just to explain to the lads just how good 2012 was and what it meant to you as a person. Yeah. So, yeah, I just spoke honestly about... Um, the day of 2012, the final, generally being up there with the best days of my life because mm. it was and it still is. Um, apart from the my, my wedding and the birth of the three kids. Of course, yeah. Um, when lifting that trophy with your best mates at Twickenham after how hard it, knowing how hard it is to do it yeah. um, is the most incredible feeling. So, and I think someone came up with a stat the other day that it's only 0.03% of everyone that plays in the Premiership have ever won a, a league title. Wow. Wow. Which is mad when you think of it like that. Um, yeah. And I'm very lucky now to say that we've, I've won it twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think the second one, I would rank the highest because yeah, really? cause I had my family there with me to, to watch it. Wow. I, when I, 2012, I was, again, young, free and single and... Mum and dad obviously were there, my yeah. family, but um, it's different when you've got the kids there and Blake, who's all about winning trophies, uh, to be able to bring the trophy home to him and get them on the pitch after the game, you know, made makes it uh, extra special. So you, you answered my next question already as to which one you'd rank higher, but interesting, the reason behind it being because your family yeah. were, were there. Like, is that something that you're super proud of when you look back at your time at Quinn's, the rugby, but the fact that you say you're not you're not quite at the end yet, but kind of yeah. that, that towards that side of it, you've got your family have only known you as a as a Harlequin, I guess. Yeah, exactly that. Um, and it's you know, three more people to try and make proud. I want them to. I, I, I love the fact that Blake kind of knows what Dad does. Coa does a little bit. She's yeah. three, but obviously Rocco, my youngest, probably won't won't get it. But you know, I want to make them proud. I want them to be able to look back and go, oh, your, your dad was a rugby player and he did all right. Like he lifted a couple of trophies and we've got the pictures of us all on the pitch together. So 
Um, yeah, for me, family's obviously everything. It's why I'm still doing it now. Um, and to put smiles on their faces uh, meant the world to me. So that's why the second one will always mean a little bit, a little bit more. But the first, the first one was good as well. <laughs> a little bit more, not yeah. not loads, not more. loads more. No. Right. So we covered those Premiership wins in 2021, just edging it uh, for you. But it's a long time to wait between Prem wins. Um, obviously, we had a bit of success following that 2012 win, but then it it kind of drifted. I'm sure fans, you know, listening to this will think, "God, we were." We sort of had the players, but it never really happened. What was it like being on the inside of that group at that time? Yeah, it was frustrating because you have the ultimate success and the goal that you set out yeah. as a as a rugby player to win the league. That's the that's the ultimate. And then you go, I want that again. Like it's it's yeah. a bit of an addiction, the winning feeling and definitely lifting a trophy. I think on reflection, looking back, I think we stood still a little bit mm. for a few years. I think we thought the same thing would gather the same results, which right. is the definition of insanity, isn't it? Not changing <laughs> things. So I think we kind of just kind of stood still and went, oh, we'll be fine. Like, we just won it last year. We should do it. But the reality is I think teams got a lot better. You then mm. become the hunted rather than the hunters. Everyone yeah. wants to beat you. Everyone wants to shut you up. Um, is that I think, just you personally? Yeah, but yeah. I think yeah, me and <laughs> definitely me. But obviously us as a club. Um, and we didn't quite kick on the way we should have done. Mm. We got to a, a European final in 2016, which was it 2016? I think it was 2016. Yeah. Uh, you know, narrowly missed out on that, which would have been which would have been amazing, but gave us that sense of right. We you know could have could have won that, could have picked up another bit of silverware. Uh, and then a few dark times. I think you've got to go through some dark times to probably appreciate the good ones. I think mm. that, again, why the second one probably meant a bit more to me was the amount of dark times that had been in between to then get back to that that yeah. stage, the big dance, uh, and to win it again. Um, yeah, and a few different coaches and managers in and out, lots of player turnover. Mm. Um I think that the stats were were mental the last few years of how many players have been in and out of this this environment. Um, so it's very hard then to build a culture, to build a mm. a strong culture that everyone could buy into when it, there's so much chopping and changing. Um, and then I think we had a the year again that we that we won it. We had a consistent fit team to to pick from, which yeah. I think you can't underestimate if you can get your best players out there every week playing together, you've got a good chance of, of winning games. Um, and for that season, Touchwood, we were very fortunate. Not many lads were away with England. Yeah, yeah. I think Marcus and Dommers got picked. I think Joe Marchant was in and out. Um, but we hardly had any lads away so we could pick from a from a similar team every week. Um, and you grow so much stronger as a team when you do that, when the same pack can go together or the same back line. Yeah. It does help. Um, I'm not saying that 23 players win a win a squad 100% they don't it's it's the full squad effort and we talked about that massively about how amazing the lads who weren't playing in that 20 or 21 season were for the group the way they challenged us in training was exceptional you know, some of the rugby that they played that they strung together in training was amazing and the physicality they brought so that we were ready for for the weekend so when it came to the weekend, you go, okay, well, we've we faced this. We've faced this yeah. because we've practiced it in training. So they were as important as the, as the starting team when we lifted that trophy. That's where you could see us all there on the pitch together. And I think from my time in rugby, I think the hardest thing you can get is 45 lads 
mm. all on the same page, all wanting the team to win, whether they're starting or not. And, and for two the two years I've been here, that's the way the culture was. And do you think that, because obviously the, the 2021, you know, you can't talk about that period without talking about the pandemic and kind of what yeah. that meant for all of us. But for you guys as a as a squad that you were then in this really tight bubble, so you had to spend all this time as a really focused group. Do you think, I guess that could have gone one or two ways, right? It could have yeah. been really fractious where you're just like, oh, seeing these guys again. Yeah. But it seemed to have, well, from the outside anyway, looked like there was a real bond forged in that time. Would that be fair? Yeah, it really, I think it really galvanised us. I think obviously there was a change of, mm. of coach as well. Um, and we'd seen some great stuff, I think, with the, with the other coaches, but then the, the club made the decision to make the change. And then we were left with a a decision to make of, you know, fight or flight. And we said, right, well, if one thing we're going to do is we're going to go down swinging, we're going to give it a go, we're going to give it a crack. And one thing we wanted to do as players was to go back to our style, to the Quinn yeah. style, um, and to be true to ourselves. So we said, we we believe in it. And we feel like we could we could beat anyone on our day if we're allowed to play that way. And fair play, the coaches said, yeah, let's let's roll with it. And we roll with it. And then as players, you feel listened to, you feel trusted. Yeah. Um, Is there a bit of extra pressure that comes with that when yeah. you, you put your hand up as players and say, we want to play this yeah, way as yeah, well? Yeah. Better make it a success. Exactly. You've got you to back it up with some action, not just words. And little things like we said, we don't need to do a team run the day before a game. We, mm. we don't need it. But if you're not ready on a Thursday, if you don't know your stuff on a Thursday, then it's, yeah. it's pointless. You shouldn't be there anyway. So we said, just give us that day off to like let us refresh and then come into Saturday and we will show you on Saturday that we're ready. So then as players, the coach went, yeah, fine, Friday's off. So then as players, you go, wow, this is great. Get an extra day off. Yeah. But with that become, comes a responsibility that right, we have to perform now. We have to earn, yeah. earn the right to keep this going. And we said, like, we've got a good thing going here. Like three days a week. We work incredibly hard when we're in, but you've got two full days off in the week yeah. to do what you want. You recover or spend time with your family, but come Saturday you pitch up and you show what it what it means to play for Quinns. Um, and we did that um, and we kept doing it and it kept working. So we were like, okay, let's let's just ride this wave as long as we could. Yeah. And we went on a great run, scored a load of points. But I think the closeness of what COVID, when that happened, mm. we had to just pull in tight together. And some of our best rugby was played in front of no fans, which yeah. is mad considering, I mean, our fans just, drive us to some level. I don't know how they do it, but they managed to get us going to yeah. score some amazing tries and some amazing comebacks. But we played some brilliant rugby in, in closed doors, um, even though it was awful. It was awful it running really, out there and playing with no one in the stand. Yeah. From, you know, when I first came down here, the Stoop Faithful are just amazing. And I, and I felt the love. So for whatever, you go out there and it was just nothing. And I'm asking lads to run into brick walls after brick walls and they get nothing back. No cl no clapping, no cheers, nothing from anyone. It was a tough ass, but fair play. The lads, we did it. We dug in, scored some, you know, good tries, got some good wins. Um, but I definitely feel the closeness of having to just rely on each other. Yeah. We definitely grew us closer. And you talk about that playing with no fans. Obviously, you've experienced a lot in your career, but obviously had that period of playing with fans for most of the career yeah. and then no fans for, for a couple of, um, or a season really, I guess. We've had um, Jack Kenningham on the podcast. And he talks about how when he obviously started playing, yeah. he was playing in front of no fans. That yeah. was kind of what he knew a match day 
to be like? And then how, when you had those fans in, what that difference, that explosion was like? Were there a few boys that in similar boats that you were saying to them, like, no, this is awful? Like, Yeah, I mean, yeah, there was genuine conversations of, like, why are, you, why are we doing this? Like, rugby is a crazy game. Like, it is a crazy game to ask lads to run into brick wall after brick wall. Yeah. And especially when you ask them to do it and there'll be no gratification. Is that a word? Gratification? Yeah. Allow it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or no satisfaction of, you know, hearing a crowd roar mm. or cheer for you to make a last-ditch tackle. You know, there was, there was just nothing. It was soulless. And for me, that's not rugby... Yeah. Is you know for me rugby is about the fans. It's about running out there in the stoop and there's fireworks and everyone's going mad and yeah. you score a try and everyone's off their feet and there's kids jumping around everywhere because it's joy, it's happiness. Um, and I missed it so much. There was times where I was questioning whether I whether I really wanted to do it anymore because it wasn't just wasn't didn't feel didn't feel real didn't feel right. Mm. So then to get them back, I know we had we only had ten thousand for the final, but it felt it felt like a hundred thousand because yeah. we'd missed them so much, and and our fans that year and every year traveling all over for us. Um, like I say, I'm not just saying it because I've been here a while, but I'm pretty biased. I think we got the best fans in the world. Well, they certainly they certainly love you, uh, Danny, which, <laughs> yeah. pro- which probably helps you say that. To be fair, <laughs> yeah, that does help. That does help. Um, so look, we talked obviously a lot about then your life in rugby and Quins and kind of clearly what it means to you, the players and and the fans. But then outside of rugby, away from that, you know, you talked about your family already. Like, what kind of fires you up away from? You've got two extra days off in the week now, by the sounds of things. So, what are you filling your time with? Yeah, they're they're harder than the days in, to be honest. <laughs> with three with three kids down now. Um, yeah, I like to get on the golf course when I can. When I'm, I got to put the green card in fairly early with the wife for that. But then when <laughs> she lets me out, I take full advantage of that. I love playing golf. It's, I love the fact that it's it's still competitive, but it's mm. just fun and being with the boys and. I don't take it too seriously. I don't play enough to get as good as I'd like to get. But right, okay. hopefully when the day comes, I, I don't have to play rugby anymore. I might have a bit more time. Uh, but yeah, three kids who keep me uh, keep me busy, keep me entertained. And I go home, it's, it's a crazy, it is a crazy home. Um, but it's, I wouldn't change it for the world. They're, they're the reason I'm, like I said earlier, I'm still playing the game. Yeah. The reason why I want to make them proud. I want to try and give them as good a start to their to their lives as, as I possibly can and to see their faces after a game and they run on the pitch um, you know I, I came down here as a 19 year old never thought I'd be still here 17 years later with, a, with an amazing wife and three three mental kids um, <laughs> but uh, yeah they're they're the best thing that's ever happened to me so um, it's, it's it's amazing to share the whole Harlequins experience with them because it's it's a family club and the fact and the yeah. club really look after them as well, which is something I I love about the club as well. And then I'm kind of interested in two answers to this question. We like to ask people whether they're a, a spender or a saver, but I'd like yeah. to get uh, these answers from Danny Kerr, the Premiership winner in 2012, when okay. in your own words you were young, free, and single. Yeah. Um, and then how that's changed to, to, to you now. So, yeah, so sp- spend, a, spend or a saver. We'll start with back in 2012. Yeah, back in, the, back in the day. So when I came down in 2006, I came down in a lovely little blue Punto. Lovely. Loved the car. Yeah. Le- electric blue. It was rapid. Um, and uh, 
very quickly changed that to a Range Rover Sport. It was it was a wow. <laughs> it was a stupid decision. Um, but I always said if I ever was a, ever could afford to buy a Range Rover Sport, I'd buy one. Uh, and then as soon as I signed that contract, I'll be honest, I had a bit of an interesting agent at the time who was sending me Ferraris <laughs> as options to buy. I was like, I don't quite have that much money. But I that would really have been want, quite the impression yeah, to buy one in the been, red Ferrari. It would have been a big one. So I, I, I went for the, after about a year down here, I went for a Range Rover Sport, um, which was is literally my dream car and yeah. I got it and I was very happy with it. I brought it back home within two days. So I still had my Punto. I was going to sell that. Yeah. Punto and my, and my Range Rover outside. And then I heard this big crash out of my bedroom window. And then a neighbor was knocking on my door. She said, Danny, you got to come down. Something's happened to your, your car. And I was like, hang on, which which car? Because <laughs> I've got two at the moment. And she went, both. I was like, right, okay. And this woman had been flying around the corner, hit my Punto into the Range Rover. It had moved it five metres. So she must have been going at a fair yeah. old lick. Told me she was going 25 and the sun got in her eyes. I was like, yes, okay, love. Uh, and the Punto had fully crushed. So in between the car. Oh, so firstly, I was like, well, it's a write-off, so... At I least I'll get a payout. I don't have to have <laughs> the problem of selling that. But my brand new sparkly clean oh. car that I just spent a rather a lot of money on um, was very, very damaged. So it, I don't know if that was karma for me being a bit of a tosser. <laughs> Buying a Range Rover Sport. Um, that lady doing 25, the sun was shining in her eyes for a reason. Yeah, say, I think yeah. so. I think so. So, yeah, I, back then I was definitely a spender. We'd go out and have fun. And, yeah. Um, yeah, we were young and in London, enjoying ourselves. Uh, but then I, then I turned into a saver. I did turn really? into a saver. Um, so then we've been sa I've been saving money for as long as I could remember from my England career and, and Quinn's because we always, me and my wife always wanted to do up a house, which we're now doing. And now it's just... Really? Yeah, it's <laughs> at that stage now where we're having to pay for things. This dream of having this amazing yeah. house is amazing. The reality is you have to pay a lot of money these days yeah. to do a build. A builder said to me the other, the other week, you know, that you, this is the worst time in history to be doing what you're doing. It's lovely. Perfect. And that's someone that you're paying money yeah, to. Yeah, that, yeah. And he's like, by nice. the way, could you just send those money for the, yeah. for the invoices <laughs> over? So I, wa I was a saver. Uh, and now, I mean, you look at it now, you're like, there's not much left. Yeah. But the house is nearly done. So, really? Yeah, but that's been the dream is to have kind of done our own house. Amazing. Um, which is cool. Like, we can yeah. make it exactly how we want, give the kids a nice big space for them to... to uh, ruin yes yeah. no doubt they will um but yeah it'd be nice to look at that and go okay well we've my, my wife and i've worked hard for this mm. so at least going to give them a nice environment hopefully to grow up in so we need the money we have to sell it yeah exactly but was that always the plan then from earlier when you were saving it was with this kind of dream in mind of the range Rover sports gone now yeah. <laughs> the dream is the is the big family house yeah 100 percent. as soon as as soon as you have kids i think you'll say the same your perspective on everything changes yeah. you realize how much money that they cost mm. to keep them mm. happy um so and now you've got three of them so yeah, yeah i've definitely my mindset has shifted uh into being more of a saver um 
and just trying to provide them with a good yeah. base and foundation that they can then hopefully go on and uh, and have a good start to to their life. So what what are the pitfalls to avoid then in terms of property development aside doing it right now, which sounds like the biggest issue? Are there any yeah. things you've really uncovered? You're like, well, we'll do that differently if we did it. Again. Yeah. So I mean, we were fairly naive into it as an I'd never done any building work to a house before. Right. Also, I am an idiot when it comes to DIY. So a potent combination. Yeah, yeah. Which so I can't do any of it myself. Which you know sometimes when you get the bills in for what they've done, you're like, I wish I'd just learn a bit more. <laughs> or gone to the course in carpentry or something. Um, but and quite naive in the way that they put a price down and I go, well, it's ridiculous how much zeros yeah. you've got on there, but I don't know any different. So at least their naivety, I'm telling myself that it's that it's okay. Uh, everyone that comes around keeps saying it'll be worth it. And yeah. everyone that's done it, it's like, it'd be worth it in the end. And I, can't, I still can't see that because I'm just seeing money leaving my account yeah, yeah. <laughs> not much happening to the house but um i would say check your roof structure is a key thing because we thought our roof would be fine yeah turns out we needed a brand new roof turns out Brilliant. roofs are quite expensive yeah Joe. yeah so that, you, that which you're fine about yeah absolutely fine about it fine that's what this is what i'm still playing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife will have me play until 45 <laughs> so we can finally finish this house yeah, yeah. yeah. so your dreams of uh, retiring after a premiership yeah. win and uh, then you get the call being like the roof the roof's bad danny you're yeah. like okay right quinn's i'm in yeah. me out. another year please tabs yeah, yeah. <laughs> but has it been enjoyable like to have a different project outside of rugby that kind of it doesn't sound like you need much extra to have your mind on, but to have yeah. this other thing that's kind of constantly bubbling away. Is it enjoyable? I'm not, I'm not sure it's enjoyable yet. I think it will be enjoyable <laughs> right. when I get the keys to the house and we're in it because we also hoped we could live in the house whilst doing it to save some money. Can't do that without a roof. So obviously Brilliant. had to go and find somewhere to rent, which is more money just out. So uh, once I'm in it and I'm sat on my sofa watching yeah. my telly, in the house when the kids are asleep, I think I'll I'll finally go, yeah, it was worth it. A lot of caveats, but that does sound like Nirvana. It will be nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, my wife has given me one room to, to design. She's mm. like, you can have, it could be what you want, a cinema room, or I always thought I maybe want a cinema room, but yeah. then I thought, oh, I've always wanted a pool table mm. and my own bar. Yeah. So it's turned into a bar pool table area which that is very exciting that's exciting exciting. that's more exciting than sofa yeah i think so i think when i when i break my first break when i rack the balls up yeah and i do my first break and i have a pint next to me yeah on my bar i think i think that's when i'll be like okay it's worth it. And you go, what's that drip? Oh, that's the roof. That's, that's the yeah. roof. Yeah. Couldn't finish that. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't finish that with the pool Just table. Play with here, umbrellas. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, so have you always been someone then that's had one eye on life outside of rugby? Or are you someone that like when you've been playing, it's like it's easier to be kind of really laser focused on actually playing the game? Yeah, I think you can't um, take your eye off the ball too much because I feel like if you don't give it your everything, you won't, you won't be successful. And I think that's... Right. We could take that into any walk of life. But definitely, I think for for my rugby, I've always been very much driven to try and be the best that I can yeah. be. Um, always really wanted to play for England. Yeah. So I've always given it my all and worked as hard as I could. Um, but at the same time, I'm very 
I'm not naive enough to think that rugby will pay you for the rest of your life. Um, we we earn a good wage playing rugby. It's hard graft. Um, your body feels the the rewards, not the rewards, the the negative effects of that. Um, and I've seen so many good mates have to retire yeah. late twenties. Not many make it past thirty now, which is which is scary. Touch wood, I'm still knocking about, um, but I don't know how the big lads do it. Mm. I, def- I think I'd have been long gone if I was been in the in the front row. I don't. I, I generally don't know how they're still still doing it. Um, but yeah, it's what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> it's a great answer. Yeah. Uh, no, someone that do you kind of have a have a, you always had an eye on life outside of Sorry, rugby? Yeah. Have you been playing or have you been like less yeah. focused? In? So yeah, there was the the laser focus of when it, it's rugby, it's rugby. But I'm yeah. very much uh, away from rugby. I don't think about it. I switch right. off, and the family obviously helps with that. Yeah. But then off field stuff. Yeah, I really like the media side of things. Mm. So I've. Been with the BBC nearly four years now with our with our podcast, which I really enjoy. Yeah. Try and do some punditry when I can, a bit of commentary, um, and other little bits and bobs that you know I'd love to do more of when I when I stop yeah. playing. It's obviously hard because you you know sometimes you get a call saying can you come and do this and it, it's tricky while you're still playing. So I yeah. know at some point I need to to take the leap and jump um, and go and do whatever I'm going to do next. But yeah. it's hard when. I always said I'd, I'll stop playing when I, f- I feel like I'm not like letting the team down if I'm not good enough. Right, okay, yeah. Or I don't enjoy it anymore. Yeah. And I still feel like I can do it and I still really enjoy that feeling. So I'm not ready to give it up yet, but I do realise at some point if I do want to go and do what I want to do next, I I need to take a leap. And you've got to kind of jump in. Yeah. Both feet. And which bit in the media side of it? Do you like the... The presenting more or like the punditry commentary side more? Yeah, so obviously I, I love the the punditry commentary bits, um, but I'd like to do a little bit more of the presenting side of mm. things. Um, it's obviously hard. You need to. I need to spend some time practicing that and uh, and getting in getting in the right rooms to try and to try and do that. But um, I love talking about rugby. Yeah. It's 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 fun. I like to kind of see it from a different perspective. Um, Great to give you your opinion as a player, but I think when I stop playing, I'll hopefully be able to be a bit more uh, <laughs> decisive really and think, impartial. Yeah. yeah, not so impartial. But um, yeah, I'd really like to do some more of that when I when I stop. But then you did a bit of uh, you've had you taken a turn at musical theatre. Was that on on ITV? I did. Yeah. Going to go back to that? Uh, that? They haven't come calling yet. The West End <laughs> hasn't come calling. Um, don't think my performance uh, was good enough. But no, I, I loved it. I loved so doing what, something What was that like, different. like, out of yeah, the comfort zone? It was amazing. My my agent called me and said, there's a show called All Star Musicals. Yeah. Uh, they take six of you from different walks of life, some TV people, actors, singers, uh, sports, men and women. Would you be interested in coming on and um, you get some practice, you get a few months of training and yeah. help, but then you've got to perform and sing a song um into a live a live audience on live tv and i was like i've always loved singing like i'm yeah. not a great singer but i've always lo- i've always right, loved yeah. it and i always i kind of wish i was been i was in a boy band that would have been the dream i think football mm. boy band rug- rugby was third choice um so then i was like this is a great opportunity to completely out of my comfort zone stood on a stage singing a song um completely on my own for the first 45 seconds it was 
It was terrifying, yeah. but it was amazing. Like, I wish I could do it again. Cause, really, like, exhilarating. Yeah, just the same kind of feeling as I'd, I had the pre-match nerves. I was stood behind the curtain, about to go on, like, bricking it. Yeah. But excited at the same time. Yeah, yeah, And then to do it and finish it, there was the biggest relief ever, just to get, get off the stage. I didn't win. My son was in the crowd. He was crying when <laughs> Alex Berrifs had got given the trophy. It's not that much of a competition. Yeah, he's, like, no. yeah. Yeah. he's like, where did you come? He's like, did you come second, Dad? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. just say that. So there was no second places, but apparently I came second. But it was amazing. Met some amazing people. Completely something different. Um, but like I say, the West End hasn't come calling yet. But do you find that, like you talked about that, like, it was pre-match nerves, right? Doing something yeah. like that out of your comfort zone. Are you someone that uses those nerves when you play rugby I and mean, obviously you played so many games for Queens for England do you still get that kind of butterflies to pit yourself yeah I do and I think it's a good thing because yeah. I think it means it it means something to you it shows mm. that you care about it still um, so I do get the nerves still I think I've got better it over time of channeling them uh, and turning it into an excitement thing and a positive thing but I think if you don't get some sort of nerves before a game then I don't think it really means enough to you. So I think it's I think nerves are a good thing. So I I, I embrace it. I look I look forward to it. And then as soon as I run out the stoop, the fireworks come out. Then uh, I don't think about it anymore. Well, it's interesting just speaking to you. Obviously, you're someone that you know, we all know watching play rugby. Like you like to do it with a smile on your face. Yeah. But he even talk about how much you still love it. Even now, you still get that that excitement. It goes back to what you were saying before, right? That when when that's gone is probably when it's time to start looking, but you're not even close to that yet. No, I don't think so. Um, you know, getting to run out a big game and mm. running out at Twickenham or at the Stoop and it's full and like I say, the, the family's there and the people that I've... You know, I speak to a lot of fans at the, at the weekend after the game. I didn't play, but so many of them just come up to me and said, you know, I've watched you since you were you were a 19-year-old lad. Yeah. Now, you know, you're almost double you're double that age like you've been here a long time and um you go yeah I, have, I really have I've grown up here it's like mm. this has been you know nearly half of my life has been at Harlequins wow. which is which is mad um how they're still picking me and playing me I don't know when, go on, when you were like 19 getting that Range Rover Sport did you kind of think oh I'm Quins for life or were you sort of like this is a absolute blast now yeah. but I wonder what yeah I think you just like. never know you never know what's going to happen um, I never knew coming down here at 19 I'd I'd still be here 17 years later I just kind of thought I've got a three year contract I'm going to give it give it my all this club looks like the best club I could possibly join it seems like a match made in heaven they want me um, I'm just going to enjoy it and that's the way I've always played like and some people don't like it because I do play with a smile on my face and I do make mistakes, but I I don't think I probably would fit in in many other clubs mm -hmm. the way I see the game. Um, luckily for me, Quinns has, has given me the the perfect opportunity to play my my style of rugby, um, and it fits with my personality as well. So that's why for me, I, when anyone always says, "Oh, maybe I might move," I say, "I don't think you, it's going to be as good." I yeah, you must. You I don't. You must have seen that with players joining and equally mm. players leaving for maybe you know they say that the grass always looks greener yeah. on, on the other side. That are there players that you've spotted? You don't have to name names that yeah, you've yeah, got. Yeah. That's not going to work for you somewhere else. And equally players you see playing for other places that you go, oh yeah, they'd be 
you play yeah. against them, you go, they'd be great here. Yeah, yeah, you can tell, I think. You can tell the type of player that would fit the Quinn's mould. Um, I think most of the players, if they ever lean on me for advice about potentially leaving, I always say, I think... I think you might be making the wrong decision because I don't think I, I could say I'm biased, but I don't yeah. think there's a there's a better club. I really don't. I love everything the club's about. It's a proper London club. I think we've got two of the best owners you could ever mm. you could ever wish to meet, uh, and their families are incredible. Come to pretty much every game wherever we are, um, and we've got the best best supporters who travel all over the world for us, um, and we play the best brand of rugby. So I know we haven't had all the success that we would like. But when you do get that, those ones where you do get the success, I think yeah. it makes it all worthwhile. All the dark times makes it worthwhile when you stood there. When I watched Steph and Dommers and Brownie lift that trophy in 21 um, with tears in my eyes because it was... Yeah. Um, I get goosebumps whenever I think about it. Blake watches it at home all the time on YouTube, just sticks it on. He, watched, he was watching it yesterday because he just loves loves watching that semi-final and then the final back over and over again and every time I think about it it, it blows me away and how lucky I am to to have, to have done that with this club well that almost brings us to our, our final question before I get on to that just one very quick additional question which no yes. one else has had yeah you said football boy band rugby third choice yeah boy band out of the current Quinn squad obviously you're you're in there yeah. looking for three others maybe okay so Joe March and I think would would go in there nice yeah. plays the guitar loves a sing song a bit of a Nile Horan yeah one yeah, he, yeah so am I Harry that's your words not mine yeah take it I yeah. could be Harry <laughs> um, who else we got Luke Northmore can oh yeah can blast a tune out um, good great singing voice uh, and I've probably at the current squad someone who just loves it and would just get his top off the whole time for the yeah. for the for the crowd yeah. would be Josh Bassett. Oh, really? I think Josh would would do well as that role. Just the hype, the hype man. <laughs> he's, he's the Bez. Yeah, the... <laughs> yeah. He'd just be stood a couple of backing backing lyrics, but top off, looking good, sort the after party. Excellent. Well, that's the entertainment book for Big yeah. Game next year then. Sweet. <laughs> right, now a gear change for the final question, which you talked about, like, and obviously you've been at Quinn's for so long, there have been those incredible highs, but on the pitch those lows yeah. and equally off the pitch as well, I imagine yeah. you've kind of been through uh, in your time playing for Queens in England. And you've talked a lot about how you find joy, I guess. That's something that you, that's why you still love playing rugby. You have that yeah. enjoyment aspect of it. How do you find that when you're in those darker times? What are the things that kind of bring you back to that enjoyment? For me, perspective, mm. it's definitely something I've learned as I've got older and definitely something since having a family. Mm. It's before when it was just you and you'd go and you wouldn't play very well. You'd look on Twitter after the game, you'd be getting hammered, you'd be getting abused by everybody. And you'd almost look for it, which is the, the worst really? thing. Like, even if you'd know you'd played badly, you'd probably mm. look for it even more because you you look on your mentions and you... you it's, it's, it's like an embarrassing thing, but you kind of want to see just how bad it is, you know, when you've played badly. Yeah, yeah. The and curiosity you, gets yeah. the better of you. And I used to do that all the, like quite a lot through the early days of England, um, and worry about what people thought, and mm. you know, what if they think that? Maybe the coaches will think that. Maybe I'm not going to get picked. And you can start. You can get yourself in a real sort of negative spiral about it all. Um, and I met my wife ten years ago this this summer, and um, and she helped me massively with that because. She didn't 
know anything about rugby. Still doesn't, um, which I love because yeah. I don't really take my work home with me. And and she always would just just say, "All right, well, you don't worry about it. Just, mm-hmm. It's fine. You know, you're a good player. So everyone can have a bad day. Just do it with a smile on your face. Show up and work harder, and and you'll be fine. And then you have a kid, and now I've got three that you know, they don't care if I put a box kick out on the full at the weekend yeah, yeah. or I miss the tackle. They just they just want dad to play hide and seek with them and yeah. and be there with them. So, you know, you go in from a bad day at training and whatever's happened, your kids will come and give you a cuddle because they, yeah, yeah, they think you're the best person in the world. So then I think that as a perspective, then you go, well, they don't take life too seriously. I'd love to just harness a bit of that and yeah. I would like to be that. They, every day is just an amazing day for them. So... And just try and take a little bit of their positivity into my day definitely has made me a better player. Uh, I do think I've, I've played my better rugby towards the, the back end of my career and I think that is down to to the family, to thinking that I don't sweat the little things too much. Yeah. I just enjoy myself, enjoy my rugby, play with a smile on my face and I'm at a club that lets me do that. Mm-hmm. As I said earlier, I think if it was like a different club where you had to do things in a certain way, um, I don't think it would work. I'm a personality probably wouldn't work that way. But here, you know, with with the family in my mind all the time, that I can just be me. Uh, some people still won't like it, but uh, some people do. And the people that matter most to me are the ones that um, make it worthwhile. And that's the Quinns fans and the whole family and my family. So, yeah, hopefully I keep doing it for a little bit longer. Well, I sure i'm not alone in saying i hope you i hope you do danny uh, it's been brilliant speaking to you thank you so much for giving up your time to chat to us um, and now back to training i guess yeah unfortunately <laughs> thanks for coming on diary of a harlequin thanks danny. mate